episode 114 of the Beth and James Isles Show, an interview with Beth Rosen. Radio team, welcome along to episode 114 of the Bevan James Isle Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, I've got to say I'm pretty excited today. I've got an interview with a lady called Beth Rosen and um, uh, how did I come into to the knowledge of Beth, well basically she's a, she's a dietitian, and, um, and you're, you're going to hear all about this in soon, but I just, I kind of come across her on the internet somehow, and I, and I just love the thing, her philosophy is diets don't work, and diets kind of ultimately can have a bad effect on our lives, and her kind of message is very much about how can we be healthier in the way we approach the way we live, and the way we eat, and all those types of things, and so I thought well, it would be really cool to get her on the show, because you know, I don't necessarily talk about nutrition on the show, it's a pretty big subject, and it's not my area of expertise, um, but I do, you know, when, when I hear messages like this, it's, you just know that this person's coming from the right place, so I kind of found out about Beth, and I thought, well, I'll frick her an email and see if she wants to come on the show, and she could, so I've actually already done the interview, so we're putting that up later on the show, but before we do, I thought, I'll just share you a, a bit of a personal experience, so I've been getting back into my running, I, I had my honeymoon in June, and July, and then I got back, and I haven't really been running much, but I want to do New York Marathon next year, and to qualify for New York Marathon, you can do a full marathon or a half marathon, and because I'm over 40 now, you can do a full marathon, I think, in about 2.55, or a half in about 1.25, and luckily for me, I'm of a level where I can, those those times are both realistic for me, but I still have to train, so I kind of, I've been training, I've started my training last week, and I'm doing a program that has a level of intensity that I haven't been running, well I haven't really been running a huge amount leading into this, I've been doing for the last couple of weeks maybe two or three very light low, easy runs, And uh, but this week I've had four sessions, now I don't have to run a lot because of the nature of my job, now for a lot of people who are looking for serious faster running goals they're probably going to run five to six times a week, but for me because I do so much exercise in my everyday job, I, I don't need to be doing loads and loads of volume, I really try to look for good quality of running when I'm out there in my sessions, so I have four sessions a week, three of them are really good quality sessions and one of them is just a very light time on feet session, but I had a couple of sessions this week, I had a 5k time trial which is really hard 5k time trial is basically how fast can you go for 5k's and it's a really hard thing to well it's it's something you've really got to manage correctly because what you're doing is you're going as fast as you can but you don't want to go too fast too early because if you go too fast too early you're really going to suffer in the latter part of the run and so what you do nowadays, and nowadays we've got great tools like GPS watches and, and even power now, but you use the tools to make sure you stay controlled in the first part of the run. So my goal leading into my 5k run was to do 17 and a half minutes, and I needed to stay under three and a half minutes per k to be able to do that, and I actually had a really good run, managed it really well, and I came in around 17.09, so I was pretty happy with that run. But then yesterday I had a session, which I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually doing a program that I get my runners to do, and the session was an interval-based session where you do two minutes is basically you do two minutes running and then two minutes either very light recovery or just stopping and it's it's basically an intense session with massive recovery 
And the whole idea of the session is that each two minutes that you do, you're aiming to travel further. So the first set you do, you kind of, you run for two minutes and you probably run at a slightly uncomfortable pace, but you wouldn't be going everything you've got in that first session, first set. And then you do 10 sets of that. So two minutes on, two minutes off. And in the middle of the first five sets aren't killing yourself you're kind of the intensity's up you're pushing a little bit hard but you're not really fighting but then when you get into the last five sets you are really starting to push it and it's a really good set because what happens is you're not really focused on your speed although you are trying to get faster what you're trying to focus on is just going a little bit further further than the last set so basically i'd one and run one direction for two minutes and then i'd go a little bit further back from that to make a new start line, which meant I had to get back to the last start line in the same time frame. So each set was getting a little bit longer. And I got up to set number eight and I was feeling really good and I had two more sets to go. And I was by this stage, when you get to the end of the two minutes, you, you're literally bending over, breathing like crazy, absolutely dying. And I knew that to beat my set eight, so I had two more sets, set nine and set 10 to go. I knew that to beat my set eight, I was going to be having to push pretty hard. So I started my set nine and I really put the pedal down. And I started off really fast. And for the first maybe 30, 40 seconds, I was feeling on top of the world. And I was just, you know, good cadence, good intensity, holding my top end, but thinking, you know, you know what, you can maintain this. And I got about a minute into a two-minute set, and the wheels just started falling off. And I realized pretty quickly that I'd gone too hard in, uh, at the, in that first minute. The first 30 seconds, my intensity was just too much. And I, I, I pushed as hard as I could, but I didn't actually go further than what I went in my eighth set. So then I had a two-minute recovery, and I stood one set to go. And you go into that place of negotiation, don't you? And I love this about intense exercise. This kind of, you look for an out to maybe think that, you know, you, you know maybe, maybe you could take it a little bit easier next time. So some of the outs I could have looked at was just going, you know what, just get the set done and call it a day. Another out would have been just try to beat your eight set again. But I, I decided I wanted the challenge. So in my mind, I thought to myself, okay, well, I want to do the equivalent of if I was on my 10th set. So if I'd nailed my ninth set where I, you know, I actually didn't, how far would have I gone? And then how do I add a little bit more to that? So my 10th set is everything I've got. So I, I stepped back a little bit further. So I was probably another 15, 10, 15 meters back from where my ninth set should have finished. And my 10th set, you know, really would have meant that two minutes was going to be absolute maximum. And in my two minutes off, I really just did that thing, which I love to talk about with my athletes and, and on the show is that I put my mind on the job in front of me. So I, I sometimes when we get to this high fatigue state, what we do is we we get consumed by our fatigue. And what I mean by that is that is we're so tired that we we don't spend any time focusing on what's next. And now admittedly, in this seat here I had two minutes to recover. So that's quite a long recovery. So admittedly the first 30 seconds I was literally gasping for air and, and trying to flush my legs out a little bit. But then really I pretty much had 90 seconds to mentally prepare for the next set. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to treat it as, as the challenge it was meant to be. And if I had allowed myself to stay, let myself off the hook, I wouldn't have been able to get the most out of the session. And I wanted to go, at least I tried my best. So I spent the next time 90 seconds thinking about how I can do this set better. Now, it was the longest set I had tried to achieve that day, and it was quite a bit longer than my eighth because I'd 
pretended that I had gone for my ninth. So I knew that to, to get to the end of the mark, and there was a marker that I was basically ending for at the end of the two-minute set, I would have to go the best that I could do. But I also knew that based on what I did in my ninth set, I can't go too fast at the start. So I'm trying to go as fast as I can without blowing out. So I kind of mentally mapped how I wanted to do it. And and the whole idea I wanted to work towards was with about 20 seconds to go, there's a chance that I might be able to do this. So with about 15, 20 seconds to go, that if I can look up and maybe there's a chance that I can get there. So that was kind of my strategy. So I had a, I used an app called Interval Timer. The beep went off in my ear, and I started to go towards my two minute. And I started not quite as fast as my ninth set, but admittedly I wasn't that far off it. I think the big difference was in my ninth set, I hadn't prepared for what was going to happen once the higher level of lactic acid and fatigue started to hit into my legs. And and because I hadn't really prepared for that, I kind of maybe gave up whereas because I knew that was going to happen in this set and maybe I pulled back at maybe five percent on my speed I had a better idea of how I was going to deal with that moment so I started off fast and then about 40 seconds into it I knew you know my legs started to burn but I was like okay well now what you need to do is just stay as close to the edge as possible with that whole idea of with 15 seconds to go I want to be able to think it's possible that I might be able to make it to the end so I worked through the next kind of 30 40 seconds and I come up to the finish line and I see I look at my watch and I think I had about 18 seconds to go and I could see I was actually using a light a, a lamp like a street lamp which is on the side of the path I was using it as, as my end point and I looked up and I think, you know, 18, 15 seconds to go and I could see the lamp and I knew that if I could find another level, I would be able to get there. And in that moment, I just closed my eyes and I just thought to myself, this is why I'm here. This is what I love. This is this challenge of this moment is what I want to chase. So instead of pulling back and accepting, you know what, you did pretty well. It was like, no, go for it. And it's really funny how... In that moment, if you make that decision, you'll you'll you'll, you'll find something else. And I I did. I remember. I, cl- I can feel it quite visually. You know, I can see it quite visually in my head. I closed my eyes and I went almost to a black place. Now, this is literally a millisecond of time, but in my mind, it was almost one of those pause moments. And then, I just put the foot down and I just sprinted. You know, like sprinted. And then you've got to remember, I've been going for about a minute forty, at pretty close to my top end. And, you know, realistically, I probably wouldn't have thought I would have found a faster speed at that moment. But because I put myself in a good position, then I was able to sprint through and and I literally passed the line as the buzzer went off. And so I achieved the objective and I was rolling over. <laughs> I was dead at the end of it. But there were some real good lessons in there for me. And, and first of all, just that whole idea of learning from your mistakes so set number nine, my mistake was, well, and maybe it wasn't a mistake, but my experience taught me that there's going if you go fast, there's going to be a moment where it's going to get a little bit hard because the build-up continues or the build-up increases. And if I'm not prepared for that, there's a high chance I will kind of just fade. And that's what happened in set number nine. Whereas in set number 10, I knew that was going to happen and I had prepared how I was going to deal with that. Now, the feelings I felt in my body was pretty similar. My legs were getting tired and heavy and they wanted to slow down. But because I saw that moment ahead of time and pre-prepared for it, I kind of knew that my the question I wanted to use was, well, what can you still hold and focus on good technique? The other thing is, 
saving the moment for when you can push through to the end. And I love this. I think this is a good philosophy in, in life. You know, this making sure you, you, you get it right so you give yourself a chance of doing well. And, you know, you think about this with athletes and you think about how athletes can sometimes make foolish decisions that really hurt their race. And I heard, I heard actually a really good interview with a, a race car driver a while ago. And his race car driver was just saying that he's learned, when he first started racing, he thought he was to try to win every race. And what it ultimately just led to disasters. And then what he learned was, my first job in a race is to give myself the opportunity to win the race. And then from there, to learn how to transfer that into the win. You know, so, you know, 75% of the game, maybe 90% of the game is getting yourself in the position so I am one of the people who can win this race. And then the last 10%, which is obviously a really important 10%, is to know how to deal with that last 10% so I can be successful. And it's interesting, you know, we've got a great rugby team in New Zealand called the All Blacks, and they're a team that seems to have an amazing ability that in the last 10 minutes of a game when, you know, they've come from behind, they know how to close it off. So one thing the All Blacks always do is they give themselves the opportunity to achieve the goal but then the other thing they do is in the defining moments, they had actually a really great test against Australia a couple of weeks ago, and Australia scored a try with about two minutes to go, and All Blacks literally had, I think, under two minutes to score a try. They kicked the ball off to Australia, won the ball back, and got a try. And so to know how to deal with that 10% moment. And I think there's something in that for you. When you think about in your life, when I'm trying to be successful, it's not always about going crazy from the start. It's about how do I give myself the opportunity to be the person who be successful? And then when it gets close to the point where the real defining moments can happen, me looking up with 15 seconds to go, going, I've got a sprint, or the all backs with two minutes to go, going, how are we going to make this work? Well, then learning how to be successful in that as well. So there might, I'm not really sure, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of off the cuff talking with this today because it's just something that's really on my mind but there's, there's maybe something for you to take from within that because success is is a big thing and there's so many aspects to success and you know I suppose my wrap up from what I've just talked about would be you know when you don't get it right reflect and learn and that's what I did from session number nine or, or set number nine is that okay well, I didn't get it right I can beat myself up and give up on today or it's like well what can I learn from this and then the second thing I would say is when you are working towards something that's big and you have a you know big goals towards is how do you get yourself in a position of being able to succeed? So and then in that moment where that last ten percent where it has a massive impact on your achieving, thinking about that as well. So I've got to say I am loving training with intensity again. Like the classes I do at the gym, they've always got intensity in it, but it's it's. I'm so used to it, it's not that hard for me, so don't get me wrong, it's physically hard, but it's so known to me, so I just know my I, my body and my mind knows that game really well, but going back into running with objectives and intensities, and um, it's just so rewarding, you know, and for a lot of people when they start exercise, you know, I, I don't recommend intensity, I think you've just got to learn how to kind of get the habit of exercise in place, but for, you know, once you can have intensity in, it just adds so much to the experience of exercise. Oh man, I'm I'm just loving what I'm going through right now. So it's pretty cool. Maybe in the next few shows, I'll keep you updated with what, what I'm doing with my running. So guys, if you want to become a patron of my show, you can go to bevanjamesisles.com. And I actually got a new patron. So I'm going to push pause and put the new patron's name. 
and I am back and the, the new patron is Olivia Alice Garland and I've got to say I was trying to find I was thinking of ideas for nicknames and I've learned a little bit about your name well not your name but Garland do you know what a garland is? A garland is a wreath of flowers or leaves worn on the head or hung as a decoration I never actually knew that so I learned that and then I went down this internet crazy place and for some reason I end up with the game Wonder Boy now I know you Olivia so it's not a boy but I'm gonna say Wonder Girl Olivia Wonder Girl Alice Garland Wonder Boy was my favorite video game when I was about 12 years old so I'm not quite sure how I got to there from Garland is my search but I did and so hopefully you learned something about your name and also thank you for your support. Um, just some of the other patrons of the show include, uh, we've got Fiona the Stark Sanders, we've got Michael the Hammer Knoll, we've got Renee the Hawk Hawes, Michael Hardcore OK, and I haven't seen Michael in a while, so we're good to see Michael again. Um, Samuel Molino, Mysteri sorry, Samuel Mysterious Man, Molino Weaver, and Donald the Explorer James. So guys, if you want to become a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesos.com. You get your cool nickname, and you support me in what I do, and if you enjoy the show, it's, it's, you know, it's one way you can do that. So go to bevanjamesisles.com. Righty guys, I'm going to get Beth Rosen on the show right now. She is a, a nutritionist. Um, you're going to hear all about her right now. She, I really enjoyed this interview. Here we go. Hi guys, well I'm really happy to have on the show a lady called Beth Rosen who has lots of letters after her name which means she knows some stuff about an area of her life and uh, welcome to the show today Beth. Thank you so much. So, so, so maybe give us a little bit of description about yourself and kind of those areas that give you all those letters if you know what I mean. Yes, all my letters. So I am a registered dietitian in private practice in the US in Connecticut which is just uh, uh, jump away from New York for those who don't know where Connecticut is and I am the owner of a company called Goodness Gracious Living Nutrition and I practice a non-diet philosophy and health at every size method to my practice which means that I come from a weight neutral place of treating people so I treat their health rather than making their body smaller I try to make their insides healthy we focus on the inside rather than the outside uh, and I have a bachelor's degree in dietetics and a master's degree in nutrition. And then I have my RD, which I've had for a little over 20 years now. What, what's RD? I don't know what RD is. Registered dietitian. So oh, okay. I think you, I don't remember what they call it over on uh, your end of the earth, but uh, it, it's some, some, some diet, dietitian is the end of it, but I think it's like applied dietitian. Okay. I'm not sure. But it, it is. Bizarre I have some because... that are in Australia. I don't know. It is bizarre because, like, it seems that there's all these different levels of education you can have in your area, and right down to a pretty basic level, right through to obviously the level you're at, and it's mm -hmm. um, it can really mur make murky waters for your industry because what is expertise can be quite, you know, quite broad. Yeah. So when I speak to groups, because I also do some seminars and speak to groups, I explain the difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist. And a registered dietitian in the U.S. has at least a bachelor's degree, and then they do a thousand-hour internship, which takes about a year, and they spend about six months in a hospital setting doing clinical work, some community work where they go out and teach classes, research, and also food service. Mm. And then once they've completed that, uh, they take a four-hour exam, and they become registered. You can go above that, and you can get your master's degree, you can get a doctorate. 
And that makes you a registered dietitian. And every five years, you need to complete 75 uh, continuing ed credits to keep up on the science of nutrition. And the difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist is anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. So when I, I'm in a room of people who are coming to learn from me, I tell them they're all nutritionists because anyone can call themselves that. Mm. So when looking for nutrition expertise, look for a dietitian and not just a nutritionist. So, so why was this the, the era you wanted to take your career down? Um, the nutrition in particular? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I come from a long line of disordered eaters and dieters. I say I'm a third-generation dieter. Uh, my grandmother is 97 and still dieting. My mother's a dieter. And what I found over the years with, um, with dieting, and in particular I started when I was nine, was the more often I dieted, uh, the less it worked, number one, and number two, the more body dissatisfaction I experienced and the more guilt and shame that I associated with different foods. So one diet might have said an apple was good to eat and another diet might have said an apple was bad to eat because I was following diet rules, not necessarily nutrition guidelines. Mm. And I got to a point where I wanted to really know what the truth was, not what one diet would say one thing and one diet would say another thing and they would um, they would be, you know, in opposition of each other. So I decided when I was in school that I would take the career path in order to prove all the diets wrong <laughs> and figure out what the, what the truth was about nutrition. So that was, that's where I started was mostly to prove my mother wrong, but then to prove anyone else wrong who was spewing, um, fake information about nutrition. That must be one, one of the most frustrating things for your industry though, because there's so much conflict like around nutrition, like even as a fitness professional, you know, if I do a show on a diet, which I don't do with this show, I don't tend to talk about food on this diet, but I'm on this podcast, but the amount of negative feedback you can get because someone has such a strong opinion around a type of diet, you know, like it's, there's so much information out there and it's often quite contradictory and there's so much passion behind kind of every philosophy. Yes, you can always find information to back up what you believe, right? Mm. So um, there's plenty of people out there that will say, oh, the this diet or that diet is the best diet that you can be on. But we all have different bodies and our bodies function differently. And not everybody will thrive on a diet that's missing certain foods or certain food groups. And in fact, missing those foods or food groups can exacerbate issues. For instance, I had a client just recently who came in with high blood cholesterol and they went on the uh, Dr. Atkins diet, which is a yeah. high protein diet. Yeah. And um, he lost 10 pounds. And then after he went off the diet, he gained 12 pounds. And over the course of that time, his cholesterol level went up. Uh, so it didn't do what it was supposed to do for what he was told to go on it for. Um, had he come talk to me, I might have said that there's not science that backs the Dr. Atkins diet. I come from a place of science. And I would have directed him towards something more like the Mediterranean diet or a DASH diet, which is uh, dietary approaches to stopping hypertension, which is high blood pressure, but it also helps with high blood cholesterol. And taught that person how to use those guidelines to best serve their body. And, and that's how I tend to work when it comes to talking to people about what diets they're, they're putting out there. So, so I, I, I'm kind of curious, what are some of the 
the typical biggest problems you see in these areas and, and probably in two ways in practically in, in the eating side of it but then kind of on the psychological side of it as well so what are some of the biggest maybe let's look at the practical side some of the biggest problems you typically see in your world so I typically um, see women who come to me who are uh, at a place where they've tried every diet under the sun but aren't experiencing what they thought they'd get from a diet, whether it be to make their body smaller or to find happiness or to feel comfortable in their own skin. Mm-hmm. I find that they feel helpless at this point, that they can't trust all of the diet rules and information that they've been given because now they they do contradict each other. And they know what they're doing hasn't worked for them, but they don't know what else to try. Mm-hmm. And so then they come to me and I teach them something different. So up until this point, all they've been doing is trying a diet and a diet maybe in many different forms, but it's still a diet. Anything that's restricting calories or restricting foods or food groups is a diet. And when they come to me, I teach them how to self-regulate their food, how to uh, learn to trust their body's cues for hunger and for satisfaction. And when you do that, then you eat enough and then you stop when you're satisfied and your body reaches its natural weight rather than fighting whatever your body wants to be. And what what are some of the costs of being in that place, you know, that place where you're always dieting and and kind of always failing? What are some of the kind of, you know, maybe psychological costs or mental costs or, you know, what's the effect? I think what I see a lot is that people have a lot of body dissatisfaction and that comes out in a place of that they don't live their lives to the fullest. So they avoid going to the beach or the pool with their families because they don't want to be seen in a swimsuit or they don't go hiking or biking because they're afraid that they'll be made fun of for being a larger person exercising or, you know, those people who always think they're doing well and and see people in bigger bodies moving and they give them the attaboy, keep going or, you know, yeah, yeah. Those, people, those people don't want to be praised for doing what you're doing in your size body. They're doing the same thing, yeah. right? But nobody comes by and says, you're doing a great job, Evan, right? You yeah, just, yeah. you're exercising, you're working out. But when you see somebody in a bigger body, some people feel the need to talk to them about their bodies and yeah. really nobody's body is anybody else's business but their own. So I see a lot of people feeling um, shamed in public or made to feel uncomfortable in public because other people have this weight bias against them for being in a bigger body. Um, And then I also see people who don't necessarily take care of their bodies because they don't like them. So if you think that in a way that, say you were given a gift and it was something you really didn't like, and would that be something you would put on a shelf and dust every day and, and make sure it had good lighting so that it was displayed well? Or would it go in a box under the bed and stay there? Mm. So if you think about our bodies, if we like them enough or respect them enough to take care of them, we exercise, we eat well, we get sleep, we do some stress management techniques. But if we don't care about our bodies, we don't take care of them, right? We don't go see the doctor. We don't exercise. We may not quit smoking. Those kinds of things. So mm. I see that the weight is not necessarily causing the issue. It's the stigma and the bias associated with the weight that makes people feel badly about their bodies that sends them not to take care of them. And so with that being the case, if like when someone's had a life, you know, because I imagine you're dealing with people who have been in this place for years and years and years. And so their behaviors are so ingrained and their, their kind of mindset, you know, like I, I love this idea of, 
um, how much time do you spend on wasted energy in your life? And that's kind of mind energy, you know, like, like, mm-hmm. you know, how much time are you spending on negative thoughts that are just kind of a waste of your life you know, that you could be spending elsewhere in more empowering places. And so, you know, I imagine a lot of people you deal with have probably been in that place for years and years of their life. And they have this history of behaviors that really represent or are so installed in them um, that it's, you know, it's almost, well, not possible to shift, but it's a big thing to shift. So when you get someone like that come along to see you, how do you start to approach them shifting to a healthier way of living life? So it depends on where they are in their journey. If they've already decided that they need to ditch diet culture and move away from it, that's one kind of person. And then there are the people who aren't yet ready to let go of diet culture because they feel if they let go and they're letting themselves go. So one thing I like to repeat to my clients is that when you let go of dieting, you're not letting yourself go, you're letting yourself be. So it's a kinder way of taking care of your body, right? And when you start to take this kinder mindset, then you can start to quiet that negative voice. I like to call it the inner mean girl. I do work with a lot of women. So that inner mean girl that tells you you're not good enough, you're too big, no wonder your pants are tight, you eat too much, nobody's going to love you, all of these things that get said in the head, I teach them how to fight back against that voice and change what's being said, whether it's through mantras or journaling, to sort of start to create new neural pathways in the brain So they start to believe some of the positive stuff. Mm. And when you believe some of the positive stuff and you focus on that stuff more, the negative stuff your brain will prune away. It's called neuroplasticity. I don't know if you've talked about it before on the show, Um, but it's when you start to create new habits. So your brain starts to take on those new habits as regular habits and gets rid of the old habits. So starting to focus on saying positive things to yourself or body neutral comments to yourself. So when the, for instance, when the mean girl might say, you, you know, you've got such big thighs, the kind voice can speak up and say, my mean girl said I have big thighs, but these big thighs carried me for a three mile walk this morning. Mm -hmm. So turning, putting a positive spin on it, or, you know, this, this squishy belly carried three babies, you know, that kind of thing, yeah. um, or trying to come up with something positive or at least neutral about it, or say something like, stop, that's not kind, to sort of shut the voice down. That's a good way to start. It is funny. I, I deal with a lot of beginner runners, and one thing I learned early on when I started to work for these people who, who come to exercise with insecurity, with a history of failure, all these types of things was they think that being hard on themselves is a success strategy, that if they beat themselves up, it's going to help them, it's going to motivate them to work harder to achieve the goal. But it's, it's, a, it's a really failing strategy because it actually just makes them feel bad about the experience when they are winning. And, you know, I really try to teach my, I was actually coaching a woman yesterday and she's really hard on herself and everything's yes but. So even when she does well, it's yes but. And it's like, you, the problem with what you're doing is you're diminishing your good and you don't get to own your good. So it actually works against you keeping on continuing on in your journey and it's a similar thing I'm doing with exercise but obviously you're doing it with what you're doing with um, nutrition as well right and you know if shame worked as a motivator everybody would be in a small body everybody could run a marathon right yeah, but yeah. shame doesn't work no it doesn't work no. we have to stop using it as a tool and what a horrible way to live it your life it, <laughs> you know? yeah, it feel badly yeah. and then we 
can't we get stuck in that rut and we can't move forward to, you know, do that couch to 5K. I don't know if you have a program like yep. that yep. over there, right? So we start out real small, do some walking, do some running and build up baby steps. It's the same thing with getting off of the diet cycle and starting to ask questions about why you choose certain foods or why you believe certain things and question why you value those things. And that I like to tell my clients to come from a place of curious observation rather than judgment so that it's asking, well, why did I choose to do that? Why do I feel that way about that food? Why do I feel this way about my body? Where did that thought come from that we all need to look the same in order to count? Hmm. Right. And that that's a piece to it as well. Changing that mindset that everybody can be in a different body and they're all worthy of love and respect. Because, you know, we, we have to acknowledge there is a social pressure, isn't there? Sure, sure. There's a very strong pressure to meet the thin ideal in mm. first world countries. And I think where we miss the mark is to realize that these pressures to meet this thin ideal comes from a $60 billion industry. Mm. You know, the diet industry makes a lot of money off of our fears and insecurities. And if we buy into the idea that we need to meet that ideal, we are, we are letting these people profit like nobody's business, right? They are racking in the money and $60 billion is a lot of money mm. and they don't want to lose their profit by saying, you know what? You're perfect just as you are. Go ahead, live your life. You'll be fine, mm. right? So I think we need to, as you know, as people who help people, we need to remind people that they don't need to meet, one, they don't need to meet that thin ideal. Two, does that thin ideal really exist or did that ideal come from a place of, photo editing and looking at only 1% of the population. I mean, how many women out there actually meet that thin ideal? Mm. Maybe 5%. And of that 5% that meet that thin ideal, how many of them were Photoshopped to meet that thin ideal? Maybe, you know, 90%. So maybe there's 1% of women that actually meet that thin ideal. And how many of them are participating in disordered eating or mm. disordered exercise habits to get there, right? So how many people actually meet that ideal? But as long as that ideal exists and we honor it, then these big companies are making money. So it's, a, it's another way to think about who are, you, who are you helping when you stay on the diet cycle? Are you helping yourself? Mm. I don't think so. so. So when you start to work with people, um, what is the perspective you're trying to help them get to? I want people to get to a place where they heal their relationship with food and their body, where they learn to become fearless eaters, where food no longer carries a stigma. There are no good foods. There are no bad foods. Food is just food. Mm -hmm. And where they learn to become comfortable in the skin they're in right at this moment, because there's no guarantee that their body's going to get bigger or smaller when you start to allow your body to regulate to where it naturally falls. There's something called the set point theory. I don't know if you've heard of it, mm -hmm. but basically what it means is that we're born with a certain set of where our weight falls naturally. It's a range. And depending on the, the size of your body, your range could be two to three pounds, or it could be 10 to 20 pounds, depending on your body. And when we diet, we pull that, we try to pull our weight out of that set point lower. And our body then, because our brains don't know that we are trying to meet the thin ideal. They just think maybe we're going into a starvation mode or something. Okay. So 
<laughs> right? So you diet your way down, your body's going to slow the metabolism. It's going to send out hormones so that you crave certain foods. And eventually you'll end up gaining that weight back because the body will slow to such a point where you're going to have to feed it. So you go from the restrict to almost a binge or an overeating cycle and that weight climbs back up and maybe you get back to that set point. Well, our body likes to be at that set point. And it fears being pulled back down again. So every time you pull your weight out of the set point, your body will work to pull it back and maybe add some quote unquote insurance weight to it. So for every diet you go on, you might lose some weight, but when you gain the weight back, you might gain plus a bit more. And then you go on a diet again and that diet's a little bit harder and you lose a little less weight, but you gain that weight back plus more. So eventually over time, what happens is your set point moves from maybe point A to point C because you've messed with it so much, you've messed with your metabolism so much. So really dieting does the opposite of what the dieter intends, which is to lose weight because over time dieting causes us to gain weight. There was actually a study done in Finland on 2000 sets of twins and one twin was to eat however they wanted normally eating and one twin was to diet and um, and what happened over time, what they found was what was statistically significant was that the dieting twin was heavier than the non-dieting twin every time. Really? And then the number of diets the dieting twin went on, so they did one time, two times, three times, the more often the dieting twin dieted, the higher their weight was over time. Oh, wow. So it's an incredible study. It totally proves a set point theory. And it was on 2,000 sets of twins. So over 4,000 people were part of this study. So, really so, interesting. So, so when you're saying, so things like the set point theory, and so the perspective you're saying is to accept where my level is and then learn to be healthy within that? Yes. Yeah, so accept where your body naturally falls weight-wise and focus on your metabolic health, which is your inside health, right? This is your your blood pressure, your blood tests, your, um, your urine tests, right? Those tests will tell you what's going on inside your body. So what you do with exercise, if somebody came to you and said, I want to lose weight and they started exercising, if they didn't lose weight from exercise, because most people don't necessarily lose no, weight from exercise, yeah. they, right, they'll quit, right? They quit. But if they're there to lose, if they come to you to exercise for their metabolic health or for health, that's something that they can do their whole life because you can feel the endurance go up. You can feel your strength go up. You can feel your endorphins rise. You can feel your stress go down. You can feel your sleep get better, right? So there are all these wonderful benefits to mm. exercise that don't necessarily include weight loss. Same with nutrition. There are all these benefits to eating a healthy diet to keep our bodies healthy, to avoid cancer and diabetes and all of these different things. And unfortunately, the the medical fields sort of tie weight into health. And that's not necessarily the case from in most cases. And what happens is they will, the doctors will tell people to diet and lose weight, but losing weight doesn't necessarily reduce your cholesterol, reduce your blood pressure, reduce your chance of diabetes because thin people get those things too. There's not one disease that thin people don't also get. There's, so there's not a fat disease. Diabetes isn't a fat disease, thin people get it. Cancer isn't a thin disease, isn't a fat disease, thin people get it, mm. you know, so you can go through all of them. There's not one, even, even osteoarthritis of the knees where people say, well, I'm carrying too much weight, but there are plenty of thin people. And I'm sure you see them as runners yeah. who get osteoarthritis, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So 
if we focus on our metabolic health and that's that will give us long-term health and a better quality of life than if we were just focused on making our bodies smaller which don't necessarily which won't necessarily make us healthier and, and so with that you know because I, I like i know a person in particular who who the scales almost define their life you know this person if they get on the scales and they put on a little bit of weight that means you know they're in a bad person kind of place and if they're going down a little bit the ironic thing with this person is that um, when even the scales go down it just creates pressure so there's no real win for them if it's going down it creates pressure if it's going up they're a bad person so what you're saying is we should be using a different measure to kind of define success and it's a broader measure that has a more healthy approach to the whole life Exactly. So this client of yours needs to ditch that metal monster. <laughs> the and stay metal away monster. From that, right? Stay away from that scale. You know, the scale only tells us our gravitational pull to the earth. It doesn't tell yeah. us, right? It doesn't tell us anything about our heart health. It doesn't tell us about our self-worth. It doesn't tell us about our character. It doesn't tell us what kind of people we are. And yet so many people rely on that number to define who they are. Mm. So first step, ditch the scale. There's no reason to go on that anymore. But you're right, redefining your success comes in many ways. It could be as easy as I can walk three miles without being winded. That's success. I lowered my blood pressure. That's success, mm. right? Whatever it might be, but there are ways to do it without trying to reduce your weight. If weight goes down as a secondary um, effect of taking care of your health, that's one thing. But intentionally trying to reduce your weight is detrimental to the body. So in regards to people you've worked with who've had success, what are some of the common trends you see that help them be successful? Uh, well, I think one is working with a professional. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pat myself on the back there. Yeah, I think. no, no, I agree. Working, yeah, working with somebody who knows how to direct them and help them through any obstacles they may come across is very helpful. I think that there's also, a, a, we're born with an internal instruction kit of how to eat, right? So when babies are born and they're hungry, we know because they cry. Mm -hmm. And when they are not hungry anymore, they push away, maybe they fall asleep. And you can see this into toddlerhood, right? So kids, they come, they grab something to eat and they run off and then they come back and eat something else and run off, right? They burn their energy, they, re they refuel, they burn, they refuel. And, ki and kids who are allowed to eat this way, which is called intuitively, um, you'll notice that you can put down a big piece of chocolate cake and if they're not hungry, they're not going to eat it. Where a dieter who was given the, okay, you can have chocolate cake, would go in, eat the whole thing, regardless of whether or not they're hungry, regardless of not whether or if, if they want it at that time. So I think what, what happens to try to change this is to relearn those skills that we had when we were born that we sort of tamped down when we let that inner girl, that inner mean girl talk to us about food rather than listening to our own internal cues for hunger and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that working with a professional can really help to, um, to hone that skill and become an intuitive eater again and self and learn to trust the self-regulation of food. Mm. I mentioned one other thing that people probably need to understand is, is this is a bit of a project, you know, that um, it, it will take effort and time, self-awareness and, you know, like actually putting the, the the time and energy into this to actually move forward on it. It's not going to be a, a light switch that you just turn off and suddenly you're a new person. It will be a progression of growth, really, isn't it? 
It definitely is. And the journey isn't a linear line. It's de- it definitely has its ups and downs. And what I like to tell my clients is that practice makes progress, not perfection. Mm. And your pace is the pace, right? Mm. So it might take you three years to get through the whole thing where you feel body acceptance and can go dance in a bikini on the beach regardless and, you know, and, and enjoy your body. It might take you two months and say, oh, yeah, no, I got this. So it depends on the person, how, how far along they are in their diet cycle, how long they've been dieting for. Um, it's definitely easier with younger kids who are more open to stepping away from society's rules and, you know, want to take care of their own body. They realize it sooner than maybe women in their, I see a lot of women in their 40s and 50s who are still clinging to meeting that beauty ideal. And as they get older, they might be losing what's considered beauty because they're just natural aging. And Mm. women aren't allowed to be old in our society. Mm. So, you know, not only are they getting old, but they haven't gotten thin in 20 yet. So, you know, they're there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also that kind of of the female who gets older feels invisible. You know, that, that kind of, it's a horrible thing to have to experience in life. Yes, you sort of fall off the face of the earth if you look at mainstream media and magazines. You really only see the young women, the thin women, the straight women. And where are all the other women? There are so many others. You know, Mm -hmm. life doesn't end at 30. There's, you know, hi, I'm here too. (laughs) In regards to if you are listening to this, and it's maybe you, you are healthy yourself, but you've got people in your life who are struggling with the stuff we're talking about. How do you support somebody towards this approach? I take it very gingerly because I don't want to set anyone on the defensive. Mm. This is something that you have to come to on your own. And what I found is that it's not necessarily my job to scream from the hilltops that diets don't work and there's another way. What my job is, I, I believe my job is to be the partner and the ally to the person who realizes it but feels alone in their journey because diet culture is so strong. Mm. So I, I will share my, my insight with others. Uh, if they are open to listening, I'm happy to move on with the conversation or send them to my website to read some of my articles. But um, I, I don't engage in the fight so much. I don't know that I will change the world. But if somebody comes to me feeling helpless, I will let them know there's another way to approach their their health. One thing I like to promote around exercise is that because um, exercise is similar to diet and that lots of people feel like they're a failure and have a history of failing. So, you know, they kind of have lots of experience to prove the fact that they feel like a failure. And one thing, and so they have these massive labels that they put on themselves, you know, like, kind of like you were talking about your mean girl. And, and they're quite vicious, quite mean, quite destructive. And so it, I look at it and I kind of approach it with, it's not that you're a bad person, you just haven't figured out your strategies yet. And so you can remove the I'm a bad person from this experience and you can look at it and go, what tools do I need to develop and what skills do I need to develop to be able to come, overcome an area that I've been unsuccessful with in the past. And it's very much kind of a similar thing what you're saying in the way you approach it, isn't it? I think so. I, I, I would say that I like, I mentioned the inner mean girl and what I like to do with people is separate themselves from that voice. That voice is not your voice. That voice might be the voice that was, was, um, 
started with diet culture. Maybe it was started by a parent or the family who told you certain rules, right? So that might not necessarily be your voice. And hopefully you have a kinder voice in there. So when I have people speak up to that inner mean girl, I have them separate themselves from it. So instead of hearing it and taking it in as their own and believing it, I have them almost put a stop to it and say, my inner mean girl says. And in some cases, I have them name the inner mean girl. There's a yeah, there's an author and her name is Jenny Schaefer. She wrote a book with her therapist. She's a recovering anorexic. And she wrote a book with her therapist, Tom Rutledge, called Life Without Ed. She named her eating disorder Ed. So anytime she spoke out against the voice in her head, she called it her Ed voice, or she would refer to him as Ed. And that became her voice. So some of my clients name their name, their voices, uh, and some just call it my inner mean girl. Some call it my um, inner gremlin. That's one that's used quite a lot. So (laughs) there there are, there are other ways. What's, What's the most rewarding part of your work for you? I think for me, it's going back to that whole reason why I decided to get into nutrition in the first place, which was to find the truth and share it. And so I feel like dieting doesn't work. And I know there's another way to live your life without dieting and feel good in your body. And I want to share that piece. And when I see somebody have an aha moment or get it or start to feel good about themselves, that makes me feel good. Uh, a question I like to ask people who kind of help others, and it's always a hard question, but what's the part that you struggle with? I would say that I still have my inner mean girl. She's not as loud as she used to be. Yeah. She is not as strong as she used to be, but she pops up every once in a while. And if she's not attacking my body, which I've pretty much controlled her not to, <laughs> um, she, she might go after a relationship. She might go after my job skills, those kinds of things. Mm. But I have to realize that, you know, that self-doubt, we all have self-doubt, but it's how do we let it affect us? So if I stop it and say, that's not kind, or if I stop it and say, what I do helps people, or, you know, nobody's perfect is a good one for perfectionists, right? So I still speak to my inner mean girl when she sort of moves around to see where she can get me and, you know, and be aware that that's not necessarily what I want to believe anymore. So I tell her to cut it out. Mm. Hey, you've got a great website, but I I know you're also designing a course right now. So just wanted to, if people want to follow you or kind of work with you, uh, where do they go? Tell us all your information. Oh, great. Okay. So if you want to read more about what I do uh, and connect with me, my website for my business is www.goodnessgraciousliving.com. And there you'll find my blog and ways to work with me. And I and I do work uh, virtually, but I don't know if your listeners in New Zealand are going to be calling America for help. <laughs> but there, but there, certainly there's online stuff I have there, a couple of freebies. And then I am working on an online course, which will be an at-your-own-pace kind of thing. And I um, that will be launching on October 3rd. And it's going to start with a free three-video mini course. And um, people can sign up for that by going to www.innergirlpower.com. And when they go there, what they'll find is that they can download a free copy of my ebook, which is called the Inner Girl Power Challenge Mega Edition. And in there are some tools to jumpstart ditching dieting and finding food and body freedom. So 
that's all there. And I hope some of your listeners will jump on there and take the the free course that I'm offering in October. And guys, I'll put a link to both of those websites on the show notes for the show. And um, and lots of people will probably be listening to this because this is recorded in 2017. Lots of people listen to this in the future. So you can, they will be there in the future as well. So go check that out and you can look to work with um, Beth. To, I called her Alison before we started the show. And you know why I call you Alison? Because there's a, there's a comedian called Alison Rosen. That's why I thought about it. Oh, yeah, that's okay. what, yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I was just thinking before, why do I think Alison Rosen? Then it's oh, there's a comedian. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. And I think you know, like I'm really big. Like one thing I always think about is why would we waste so much of our life thinking about food? You know, there's so much time in our life that, that we can use to do enrich our life through experiences, through connections, and things like that. And that you know, eat your food, eat healthy then move on and do the next thing. And my concern is so many people spend so much time on worrying about food and it's what a wasted opportunity that is for your life. And the promotion of what you're promoting in this world is such a healthier way to approach the self. And so I just love the work you're doing. Uh, keep it up. And uh, if you've got anything you want to share in the future, just send it my way. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity to chat with you. Such an important subject. Um, this uh, just being what is health. <laughs> I think I talked about this on last show and, and on that interview I did on the other podcast recently. Um, just you know what is health and and, and what I love about what Beth is doing now. now Beth knows her stuff around nutrition. She's a registered dietitian, so she's obviously has a high level of understanding around the science of eating. But she's learned that what we really need is a healthier approach. And so if you really like her work, there is a couple of places you can go, as she mentioned, and I'll put these in the show notes. Goodnessgraciousliving.com is kind of her home base. So that's where she's got her, if you want to work with her, her blog, um, some recipes and all those types of things. But then the course she's creating, which is coming out in early October 2017, I know a lot of people listen to this in the future, so in the future you can probably go there right now. It's called innergirlpower.com. And I'll put both of those links on bevanjamesisles.com so you guys can check them out and you know and go do some reading and learning from her because I just, you know, I just, she's, she's preaching to me, she's preaching the same choir because I'm a big believer in this that We've got to shift the way we see ourselves and see ourselves as healthy. So check it out. It's best work, you know, really good stuff there. Okay, so that's going to be pretty much today's show because we're getting close to the time. We're getting close to the hour. just wanted to say if you want to be a supporter of the show or a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesisles.com. You'll see there's a Patreon link right there. I'm actually going to be doing a new website soon. It's kind of, it's funny. My years are funny because fitness dies, you know, soon uh, when the last part of the year it kind of dies but it's always a good time for me pretty much from october forward i can really just nut out some really big projects that are not so much about kind of day-to-day living and so as i get into this last few months of the year i've got a few big projects i want to do and one of them is updating my website because my website is starting to look a bit 2000 so um i need to do that and, and i gotta say pretty much the money the patrons are giving is helping me do that so that's a big thank you to all the patrons and also you just know you're supporting a show that you enjoy and you know i do patronage of other shows i enjoy because i'm a big believer in supporting those who create content i enjoy um i'll be back in a couple of weeks time i've got a i've got a really deep subject we're going to go into next time i've he had a couple of interesting experiences recently with some clients and, and just in general. And um, 
yeah, we'll get, we'll get in deep. Get ready to go deep next time, guys. So look out for the next show in a couple of weeks. If you enjoy the show, make sure you go onto iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast from and just give it some feedback, you know, hopefully great feedback. And uh, just helps to spread the word and social media and your friends. Just let me know what I'm doing here. Anyway, I'm going to see you guys in a couple of weeks' time. You guys have a wonderful couple of weeks and I'll see you real soon.